Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Dear Lord, Father God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, thank you for the freedom that you have given us, Lord. Thank you that the freedom we get to live in and walk out in God. And Lord, I I lift up those, Lord, who are still experiencing the shackles on their feet, Lord, who are still uh, stuck looking at a mountain, not knowing how to move forward, Lord. I pray that we as a church would live in the freedom that you have, have given us, Lord, that we'd give hope to those, Lord, and that you would continue to liberate people from bondage, Lord, liberate them from the shackles that are holding them back, liberate them from the sin, Lord, so that they could experience true freedom in you, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for Pete. I pray you bless him as he gives the word today, and bless us, God, as we continue to go forth from here and be your servants of reconciliation and bring freedom to this world that is in bondage. So I pray this in your name, God. Amen. Good morning. Hey, I want to bring somebody up. Elizabeth and Neil, come on up, guys. I want to introduce you. Come forward here. Hey, I want to introduce you to a new part of the family this morning. guys. Neil, this is his wife, Elizabeth. Neil's joined the New Vision team here uh, this week, and he's going to be managing and running all our sound and tech stuff as it relates from the board, for all our sites, for every places that we're going. I know Chris has been carrying the load of that, and we almost drove him to the ground. <laughs> Thanks, Chris, but I know how to take some of the load. So Neil and his, Neil's jumped on board to be a part of that team, so like, if, I know he's going to be looking for help for tech people and all the stuff that's going on for there, but I just wanted to introduce him. I want to pray them in, and his wife, welcome, guys, to New Vision, and we're excited to have you guys here. Give him a round of applause, guys. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this day and, and for your love and blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace. And I thank you for Neil and his wife being a part of this family, Lord, as they're going to help us be able to run the soundboards and the things we see on our screens and all that's going on on our, each of our sites. Lord, uh, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing your word. And so the word needs to go out and it goes out by sound. So his, his role is vital to the proclamation of your gospel. And so we pray now, Lord, your blessings upon them, their family, as they join this family, Lord. Father, that this community receive them. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Father, we'll build up teams that need to serve alongside him, that we'll be able to build the kingdom. So I thank you for them. Thank you for Neil and the committee to come to be a part of this group and this community. And we pray that in their lives you'll be glorified. So we thank you. We praise you. Uh, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. 
Hey guys, we're starting a new sermon series called Freedom in Christ. Next couple uh, months we'll be going over that. So we're going to be bouncing to two scriptures here, 2 Corinthians 5.17, but really jumping and holding and holding ground around Romans chapter 2 in a minute. Hey, Julie and I would often travel to uh, New York. And uh, my, in fact, we travel, one reason we travel is because my daughter lives there and is going to school there. But when we travel to New York, we always stop to take a look at the Statue of Liberty. And the iconic Lady of Liberty who holds up a torch in her right hand, and she stands on a pedestal that reads like this. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning for breath free, the wretched refuge of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed, to me. I lit my lamp beside the golden door. What she is saying is come one and all. You come with all your mess, your problems, burdens, and needs because Lady Liberty is holding up her torch to show you the way. And at the bottom of Lady Liberty's feet is a chain that has been broken, a symbol of freedom, a symbol of freedom. Guys, in the same way God has sent his only begotten son who is the light of the world, inviting us with all our problems and burdens and bondages to come to him for freedom. Christ is faithful to show us the way to freedom. And Paul writes that there were, where the spirit is, there is liberty. We sang about that. We say, where the Spirit is, there is liberty. I want to start a new sermon series called Freedom of Christ. If we have been in the faith for a while, it's very easy to be caught up in some spiritual habits that appear freeing, but are actually enslaving. And my heart and goal of this sermon series uh, is to help us understand our freedoms of Christ and how we might walk in more intimacy with God and with Christ and not have religious activities. It's very easy to become religious people and not experience the joy of the Lord. And it's where we find this, that if you know hear the truth, the truth will set you free out of John chapter 8. So I want you to understand your, your freedom in, in Christ. So I'll be presenting 10 statements on this journey. I'll be presenting 10 statements. I didn't come up with these statements. Actually, I got them out of a book called The Cure, right? It's a great read. You can go, go get it. And this morning, we're going to look at this first statement. Do I believe that one day I may achieve being pleasing to God, or am I convinced I'm already fully changed and fully pleasing? So let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your love and your blessings, your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, I pray this morning as we deal with the issue of freedom, Father, as we look at what that means as the believer, what it means to walk in freedom, what it means to feel free. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning because I believe your Holy Spirit still speaks and he speaks through your word. Because in the revelation that we get through your word, there's freedom. Father, when we have those aha moments by your spirit, Lord, it sets us free. And so I pray this morning that God, you would lead us into freedom. Father, may we put aside those wrong ideologies and theologies that we may have conjured up in our mind. And Father, may your word speak to our heart this morning that, Father, chains would be broken. And Lord, we'd be able to learn to experience your love and your joy and your peace, your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy, Lord. Father, I know many here have been burdened and heavy laden by a lot of things. And Lord, you said all those are heavy laden. Come unto me and I'll give you rest. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you take off the load that we will learn to walk in freedom in a way that is seen through your scriptures. And so, Lord, I pray you lift the load up this morning of those who are here this morning. 
Maybe they feel beat up or maybe they feel heavy or maybe they feel like they're not good enough or maybe they feel like they want to please you more. But Father, we have to understand this, that you already love us and receive us as we are. And so we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Guys, we're going to look at three things about freedom this morning in Christ. Number one, freedom begins with a new identity. Freedom begins with a new identity, number one. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. I think the, the wedding ceremony, what begins with the music and with a dad escorting his daughter down to the altar, right? And waiting at the altar is the groom, okay? And when she's standing with her father before the one officiating, the pastor asks, who gives this woman to be buried to this man? And the father responds, her mother and I do. And right after that, the father sits down and has no other role in the ceremony. But the ceremony continues, asking the big question, coming up to the big question. Do you take this man to be your husband? And with a sounding confession, I hope she says, I do. Okay, and at that moment, something special or supernatural happens. Guys, it's not the kiss that comes later, okay? In her confession, before God, family, and friends, and groom, her identity changes. She is now the bride of the groom, and she takes on his identity. She takes on his last name for life. Let me tell you something. That is exactly what happens at our confession of faith. It is our spiritual wedding day when we, the bride, the church, say, I do to Christ, and we supernaturally change our identity. We take on his name called Christians, little Christ, and his identity, his righteousness for life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So, first of all, in Christ, we are a new creation. I want you to hear this. In Christ, you are made new. Made new, right? In fact, the word in Christ is the key to our freedom. The word in is a primary preposition denoting a fixed position. It doesn't change. Once you come to Christ, you are new. It doesn't go back and forth. It's not, God is not an Indian giver. He's not that. You are fixed as a new creation. In fact, to be in Christ is open to anyone who believes and receives Christ, no matter what class, race, gender, language, education, or economic level. All who believe, so whoever believes, is become new in Christ. See, knowing our identity in Christ is crucial to how you walk and live. To how you walk and live. In fact, in Christ is mentioned 578 times in the New Testament. And in the book of Romans, which we're going to jump into the morning, in the morning, minute, it's 13 times it's mentioned in chapter and in, in through the book. In fact, in Christ, we are justified by grace, means we're acquitted in Romans chapter 3, 24. In Christ, we have eternal life, Romans 6, 23. In Christ, there's no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. In Christ, we are set free from sin and death, Romans 8, 2. In Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ, we are one, one family, Romans 12, 5. Do you see the benefits of being in Christ? It's a fixed position. It says that you are a new creation. It has to do with regeneration. That God changes us, right? In fact, new creation, regeneration, as a, as a respect to our form, it means to be made fresh, unused or unworn. 
By substance, it means unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of to be made new in Christ. Guys, this just isn't turning over a new leaf or getting your act together. That's not what this is. The new creation is not something God does for us, but here it is, what God does in us. What God does in us, right? Let me tell you something. Maybe you feel this morning a little beat up, a little used, a little abused, but in Christ, that has all changed in his eyes. That has all changed in his eyes. This new creation is a miracle because some of you have fought it, <laughs> you cursed it, you rebelled against it, and times you loved the sin, your love for the sin outweighed your love for God. But in some sense, this second creation, this is the second creation. The first creation was in the garden, and we took on the likeness of the old Adam, but now we take on the likeness of the new Adam, the new Adam, which is Christ, right? So we have a new creation. We are a new creation, but here it is. Here's the promise. You're, the, the new has come. The old is gone, right? The old is gone. That's the promise. The old has passed away. In some sense, your old life has perished. It's, it's disintegrated. It's, it's ash in the wind. I hope you're grasping where I'm going with this. Because some of you guys are holding on to your past, but also gives us a picture of a person moving forward. Don't be hindered by your past. Your past doesn't determine your future. Your past doesn't determine your future. The enemy will throw your past at you, but Christ creates a new path for you. And he will provide a new future and a new hope. I love Priscilla Shire. Uh, Tony Evans' daughter says this, trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is like trying to rob my old house. I don't live there anymore. That ain't my stuff. Listen, freedom comes in celebration of the old life that has been put to death. We celebrate the old ways that have been put to death. It's gone. It's past. It's disintegrated. It's no more. Guys, our sin is cast out to the east, to the west, when it comes in, and God says, quit putting, you know, quit going back to the mess. He's, God put a sign that said, no fishing. Quit going back and digging it back up. The enemy wants to keep throwing in your face, but God says, it's gone. It's over. We celebrate it, right? Last week, we had baptisms at, at the Lemon Grove site, and that's a picture of the old becoming new. It's a picture of the old. The baptisms, you're, you're put to death and raised to new life. You know what? God is still about resurrecting lives. He still is. All of you have a testimony. All of you have a story. You have a narrative. What? Because God did something in your life, and he resurrected your life to give you a new life. An abundant life on earth and the eternal life in heaven. And so we see this being played out here in this new creation. So first of all, you have to understand freedom comes in our identity and understanding our identity in Christ. In Christ. Here's the second thing. Freedom begins with a new heart. Freedom begins with a new heart. Now turn over to Romans chapter 2. That's where we're going to plan ourselves for the remainder of the morning. Romans chapter 2. Could be looking at the first part two, verses 12 through 16. In 1988, 40-year-old Pistol Pete Maravich holds a number of unbreakable college basketball records and later the NBA at All-Star. He died while playing a pickup game in Pasadena, California. He was a health enthusiast whose last words were, I'm really feeling good. Maravich died of a head and heart defect, right? 
He was a world-class athlete. He, he had external appearances of sexual physical health. However, he had an unseen fatal heart problem. He appeared to be a model of physical fitness, but his well-conditioned bodies masked a serious sickness. Same for us. We can easily mask some unhealthy spiritual conditions. The heart is death to be wicked. Who knows it? Jeremiah 17, 3. How easy we can mask our brokenness for the sake of false appearances. To have true intimacy with God, he will deal with our heart. Faith work starts with a heart transplants. As we look at Romans, the book of Romans, we're going to journey through the book of Romans as we talk about freedom in Christ. The first three chapters deals with sin, deals with the heart issue, right? Deals with the heart sickness, sin. In fact, if you really want to break down the outline of the book of Romans, the first three chapters really deals with the sin, then it'll get into sacrifice, then it'll get into sanctification, and then it'll get into service. You'll see that as we go through the next couple of weeks. But he's got to deal with the sickness. He's got to deal with the infection. He's got to deal with the heart. And so we talk about freedom. God who says, okay, I'm the great physician, and I'm going to do some work on the heart because that's where the freedom's going to come. And so he's going to start dealing with it. He begins to speak here to the Romans, right? And so to have freedom, God deals with the unrepentant heart. We live in what we call common grace. Common grace is given to all, the believer and the unbeliever. You're breathing today because God is gracious. He reigns on the just and the unjust. There are certain things in this world that God pours out and blessings on all, whether you follow him or not. We call that common grace. But we know that judgment is inevitable, right? But I know this about the judgments, and I know this about the character of God, who's gracious and merciful. If you just go down to Romans 2.4, he says this, Oh, do you, or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? What is he saying? God's kindness and his love being poured out leads people to this relationship with him. He's going to be dealing with judgment in a moment. He's going to be dealing with people's perspectives as it relates to bringing judgment on others. That's the context of, of chapter 2. He, he says, he's saying, be careful how you judge others because we all fall short of God's glory or God's standard. In fact, some who are bringing judgment on others are in violation of the law, breaking the law themselves. And they're under judgment. You see that in verses 1 through 3. We do not judge. God will judge. <laughs> we just bear witness that I talked about that last week. Great. Look at verse 12 of Romans chapter 2. It says, For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. He's dealing with two different groups of people there, the Jews and the Gentiles. God's Jewish people, his chosen people, God selected them. That's all about the Old Testament. And then the Gentiles are anybody that's non-Jews. Also could be the Greeks in some sense. If you're not Jewish today, you're Gentile. Okay, apart from you, you're not Jewish background, right? And so he's saying judgment is going to come on both the Jews and the Gentiles. Judgment of the Gentiles apart from all. No matter what, God's going to judge all people, right? But it says here, for as many have sinned against without the law will also perish without the law. Who didn't have the law? The Gentiles really didn't have the law. God's people had the law. They were given the law in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. That was the law that they were given. But the Gentiles really didn't have a law. 
It was a law unto themselves, whatever they had in their own conscience, in their heart. We'll get into that in a, in a minute. But there was something written in their own hearts on these Gentiles. That, you know, why do people say, well, it's, you know, it's bad to steal, right? It's, it's bad to kill. There's something written on the hearts of men that gives some truth to these laws. It's a, there's a, they have it in their, their conscience, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, some might say, in their conscience, you know, we've been given biblical standards and biblical laws to fall. And those, those boundaries have been set for us to help us have freedom, not to, not to restrain us. Order. We're going to watch the Super Bowl today. Uh, at least some of you might be watching the Super Bowl today. And there's a football field that has boundaries, right? They have the freedom to do and create on, within those boundaries. There's freedom there. But as soon as they go out of bounds, the play stops, Right? God has given us these laws to live by. We operate in the boundaries for our safety, not because he's a joy killer or wants to rob us of our freedom. I often find that people think they could live any way they want. Actually, they get robbed. And there is no freedom. But here he's saying, look, guess what? The Gentiles and Jews will be judged by the law. Right? No matter whether Jew or Gentile, we're all going to, all, when we go through the judgment, we'll be without excuse. Because what? You only have to go back to Romans chapter 1, it talks about the creation. And God reveals himself through the creation. And men will be without excuse about who there is, and there's a designer and a creator. Ignorance of the law will not excuse us from the judgment of God. But Gentiles live their lives outside the law, but they will perish outside the law. But when we get to the Jews, they're going to be judged according to the law because the law was given to them. Romans later on in chapter 9 says they were blessed with the oracles of God or the, the word of God. They had the written word. They had the Old Testament. They had the revelation of who God was. They were blessed with that. But all the law could do for us is reveal how much we need God. The reason God gave the law was to help people bring order to their lives because they, they were out of when there's no order, it's chaos. But the law is also a standard of perfection. And we cannot meet that standard as people. I think this is where we get it wrong when we, when we are, as believers, we, we're trying to be so good. We got to read more. We got to pray more. We got to go to church more. We got to more, more. And it's like our efforts are trying to get over. That's the law in some sense. It's, it's binding. It's almost like, oh, if I don't, if, oh, I must not be a very good Christian if I haven't done, read my whole Bible in a year. Or I haven't prayed an hour every day. That could be law in itself. That could be difficulty in itself. Listen, I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I think it's important. But what I'm saying is if we read it out of, the, out of regulation and not out of devotion, we won't get anything out of it. And it becomes burdensome. You don't want this to be burdensome. God, he says, I give you my laws. He, he, he said that my laws aren't burdensome, Jesus says. He goes, I'm not trying to give you more heavy things on you to do. I'm not trying to give you a laundry list to do. I'm not trying to give you a law to do. I'm not trying to do this to make it heavy on you. When God begins to change the heart, the reading of this is something you look forward to. Because I'm having a conversation and intimacy with God through the writing of his word. But some of us are like, oh, man. How many of you have ever read uh, the Bible in a year on the app? 
right? I, I, I do that. And then you miss a day and you feel guilty, right? Oh, now I got to read. Tomorrow I got to read for two days. And then what do you do? You read it, but then you remember what you read because you're trying to get through it. Guys, that's the law. That's burdensome. Be careful of that. Us and the Lord, we could be 30 years Lord and we still feel that way. There's no freedom in that. Okay? I don't think guys sitting here and going, man, I can't believe you blew it. <laughs> you know? This is the truth. We all sin without or we all sin with or without the law because we're imperfect people. Apart from God, intervention, we are doomed to physical and spiritual consequences. But Romans 2, 8 and 9 says this. He talks about the blessings and the curse apart from the law and in the Spirit. It says, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteous, for those that just want to live and do whatever they want and they think it's freedom, right? Here it is. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jews first and also of the Greek. Think of people who do, just live and do whatever they want. What is their love life like? Man, they seem like they're always in trouble. They're struggling. They're in pain. They're hurting. They're, they, they, that's, that's the consequences to say, I'm going to live any way I want to live. But here's those who live within, within the law and, and freedom. It says, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jews first, also to the Greeks, for there is no partiality with God. Well, God wants to free you from the coming judgment of pain of sin and replace it with his peace. Replace it with his peace, right? There's no partiality with God. That phrase there is very interesting because the Jews were bringing judgment on people, especially the Gentiles, right? They're, they're oh, I can't believe you're doing this and doing this. But the very thing they were accusing them was the very thing they were doing themselves. And so God says, hey, man, I ain't playing favors because you think you're my covenant people. You think because of my, your position you own because you got the, the Ten Commandments and you're circumcised, you're all these different things, that you're going to escape the judgment. I'm not, there's no partiality with me, man. We're all sitting under the judgments. But God begins to change our hearts, right? So to have freedom, we have to submit to the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in 13 through 15, right? Obedience is a natural outcome of a repentant heart. Look at 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For with the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things that are in the law. These also not having the law are law in the, to themselves. Hey, I don't just want you to read and listen to the word. I want you to do the word. <laughs> now, guys, this is where it gets really hairy because I think sometimes we have a struggle with work, faith and works, right? With faith and works. For those who have a little more study, you think of, um, of uh, Luther. Luther didn't like the book of James. He was a theologian. The Lutheran church came out of there. Luther didn't like the book because he said, no, we're not saved by works. Right, we're not saved by works. Salvation precedes work. Work before salvation of ourselves is not going to get us to heaven. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. We're works created for good works. The fruit of our works comes out of our salvation. But it doesn't save us. It's just an outpouring our love of a changed heart before God. Okay? We are, that's why we're saved regardless of whether you could, come, you could come to church every Sunday, guys, and not serve at all. You're still going to make it into the kingdom, but you're going to miss out on some blessings. Okay, you're going to miss out on some blessings because we're not saved by what we do. But what he's saying here is, I don't just want you to be just 
readings of the word and hearing the words. I want you to be doers. That's first search for not to hear the law are just in the sight of God. Hey, just not pay attention, but the doers of the law will be justified. And so that's the point that he's making here, right? But then he says what? He says, 14, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having law, are law in themselves. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Gentiles didn't know the law or the things of God. They were ignorant of the things of God. They grew up in Greek culture. They grew up with philosophies and theology and religiosity, and they were polytheistic. All of a sudden, they come to faith. Something supernatural comes by the Spirit, changes the heart, and they begin to follow the rules of God, and they didn't even know the rules of God. That's supernatural. How do you, when you become born again and the Spirit comes in, all of a sudden you worship God and you stop doing all your crazy mess? When before you were trying to go to AA and go to counseling and doing all the crazy stuff and you couldn't stop. Because in some ways, that's a self-effort thing, right? And what I often find sometimes in the struggle with people going to this AA is that they go, and I'm not here to bash AA, but I want you to see this point. They go to AA and then they say, I was a drug addict. Blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. For those in Christ, we just said what? You're a new creation. So my identity has changed. But they keep holding on to their own identity. I'm saying no. But then they, what the thing is, they keep saying, okay, I'm going to this class to make sure I stay. And then they go home. I don't know if you ever, um, I love, uh, um, uh, you ever see the Equalizer? The movie Equalizer? Washington? Denzel Washington. There's a scene in, the, in his movie where he's driving, he's driving the car, and there's the guy in the back seat, and he doesn't want to drink. I don't know if you've seen that movie. And he's battling with his addictions. He's battling with his, with his oh, I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. A lot of times people like us, I can't sin, I can't sin, I can't sin. We're so focused on not trying to sin instead of focusing on who Jesus is. That's the freedom. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. That's the renewing of our mind. That's the empowerment. That's the difference there. Take pleasure in God. Guys, I'm calling you to be spiritual hedonists. Take pleasure in God. Have intimacy with God. See, if you're trying to do work to earn God's favor, it's not what God is seeking. It's not what God is seeking. You already have his favor. Do you hear me? You already have his favor. Walk in that. You know, you hear about kids saying, I can never please my parents. Sometimes the church says, I can never please my father. You're already pleased your father. You know, the affirmation is so important, parents. You know, even God the Father from the Son, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. But he had such, that Jesus had such an intimate relationship with his father. But some of us in the church are still acting like the kid that could never please his dad. Be careful of that mentality, of that thinking, right? The repentant heart instinctively obeys the law without knowing the law, right? We honor Christ because of what he has done for us, not what you have done for him. God's done the work. He's gone to the cross. He gave up his life. Right? He took on sin that we might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He blessed us with his righteousness. He covered us with his righteousness. Right? But what does this unrepentant heart look like? What's the demonstration of a, of a repentant heart? 15. 
It says, who shows the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accursing or else excusing them. I love this. If you have your Bible, underlined the word show. Who shows the work of God or who demonstrates the work of the law written on their hearts? God's written this stuff on our hearts. He's given it to us, right? He's given it to us, right? The heart. What is the heart? Guys, the heart is our soul. The heart is our intellect. The heart is our emotion. You wear your, your emotions on your heart, or your, on your sleeves. Your, it's, 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 it's who you are. That's the heart, right? It's our emotion. In him we ha- in we, we have our being. That's why we're to love God with all our heart, with everything of who, with the makeup of who we are, right? People of faith demonstrate the law is written on their hearts. How? It says this. It says this. Their conscience always bearing witness between themselves for their thoughts, accusing them or excusing them. Their hearts, their conscience, that's the heart. Okay, remember I talked a little bit, we all have some conscience or, you know, uh, it's not Jiminy Cricket, the little guy on the shoulder, that's not our conscience, okay? It's our heart speaking, okay? It either accuses or it affirms, okay? Guys, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction, I want you to see this. The enemy comes to condemn. The spirit comes to convict. Okay? The enemy comes to condemn, but God comes to convict. Right? Because we already know in Romans 8, what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy is about punishment. Satan is about punishment. God is about conviction. What does conviction mean? Conviction is speaking to your heart with the purpose of bringing about change. God says, I, you're walking with me, but I want you to, to grow in the faith and to grow that God would begin to do the sanctification process in you in such a radical way that I'm showing, here's some areas that God might want you to change in. That's what conviction is. You know, when, when my son or my kids got in trouble, is my number one job to punish them or to teach them? My number one job is not to punish them. That's not what I'm trying to do. My number one job in parenting my kid as a father is to teach them what they've done wrong. It's to bring convictions they could do right. The enemy just brings judgment and condemnation and wants to press on you where God says, no, let's look at this. Because that's what a loving father does. That's the God that we serve. That's the freedom that God, so we don't have to sit here. God's not the, 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 the Freddy Krueger heavy ready to get us. He's not Zeus ready to throw the lightning bolt at us, right? And some of us view God that way in our walk with God. That's enslaving. That's, that's torment. But the Bible says what? The fear of the, the, fear of the Lord, you know, that the, the love is the, is the fear of the Lord and, and that fear is torment, but love comes from God. God is about shaping us and changing us. That's what he's about. That's what he's doing. So to have freedom, here it is, and he's changing us. He's working on our heart. He's changed to have freedom. The secret things must be revealed. Here's the difficulty, guys. The secret things must be revealed. Look at verse 16. In that day when God will judge the secrets of, men's, of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The secret things. See, the enemy's greatest weapon for bondage is to enslave you. He wants to keep you in the secret about your mess. I'm gonna get a little touchy here because this is hard for a lot of people. This is hard for a lot of people. 
The enemy wants to enslave you by fear. This is how he does it. But if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't love me, they wouldn't receive me. So my mess, I want to keep it to myself. I want to keep it to myself. I want to hide it. Okay, I, 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 want to, I don't want people to know who I really am. You, have, you ever heard of the term imposter syndrome? The imposter syndrome is like, people see what I am on the outside, but I'm not that in the inside in some sense. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm playing the actor, the hypocrite, and they what they see here, but inside I'm a mess, I'm jacked up, I'm, che- I'm doing all this crazy stuff, but here's my appearance, but I'm really an imposter. Jesus, what he's saying here is the fact that we, we, guys, we have mess. And the enemy wants to enslave us, and the secret things will actually enslave us. The sin that we're doing will enslave us unless we confess it. Unless we get it, we get it out, right? Sometimes we fear man more than we fear God. But it seems to be more, seems to be that God is more gracious than men. <laughs> Listen, God already knows the secret things in your life. God already knows the secret things in your life, right? God already knows what's in our heart. All things are naked before God. Genesis 6, talking about the flood story and Nora's story, he said God knew the evil of men's hearts, he said, right? The psalmist writes, he knows the secrets of the heart. Solomon said the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We know that. So Galatians says, 520 says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Your freedom comes in your confession. Did not James say, if you confess your sins, once another healing would take place? Because I'm hoping that New Vision be a place that you can not be afraid to share your mess and your junk. Because I believe that people in here love, and they're going to receive you as you are. And I don't care how dark it is, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how deep it is because Jesus went to hell when he died to hell to set us free. And you might feel like you're in a dark place right now, but freedom only comes when you say, I'm struggling, man. I'm jacked. See, see, the reality of this is that we walk with God with our mess there and he deals with our mess. But if we don't bring the mess up, then he won't go to deal with the mess and the enemy is going to feed off of that. So freedom comes when we just say, I'm a mess. <laughs> And let God and the people and community come around and help you with the mess. Jesus didn't throw the stones when he brought the adulterous woman in. Men did. Now, what did Jesus do? He protected her, he guarded her, but he said, now go and sin no more. But he journeyed, he said, hey. He saw her mess, but didn't bring all his craziness for her mess. I think that's our response, because the issue was judgment in chapter 3. You're judging people about their mess, and you're doing the same thing. Guys, I'm pointing this way, and I got fingers, fingers, fingers pointing back at me. Hey, this world's in a mess. Sometimes the people out there think the church is always speaking against what they're against out there instead of what they're for. Maybe the, maybe the world would come into the church if we just receive them in, in their mess. Okay, in their mess. That's what we need to be. That's where freedom comes, Right? The truth for freedom, James writes, is confess your sins once another healing would take place. That's the truth. Lastly, guys, here. Freedom begins with the work of the Spirit. 
Romans 2, 25 to 29. Jump down to 25, is right? I think keys are important. We all have keys, right? Keys open the doors for our home, our car, our offices. Keys open up safe deposit boxes. And they say that education is the key to knowledge or success. But here is the key to life, I believe. Here is the key to freedom. Humility to surrender to the Holy Spirit. The humility to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's where you're going to get your freedom, right? Now, I talked a little about living by works. For circumcision is indeed profitable, verse 25, if you keep the law. But if you are breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcised. Now, circumcision, what we find out, was given for God's people to the Jewish people, right? To the Israelites as a sign of a covenant agreement that they were going to be his people. Circumcision was like the wedding ring, okay? Ouch. I want the other wedding ring. Um, okay? It's just a sign of commitment. But here's the issue. The Jews believe their circumcision saved them, that the practice of circumcision is what saves them, that, hey, I got the ring on, I'm good. I'm safe, I'm ready to go. That the work was what, gonna, what was going to save them, right? So the Jews prided themselves that they were the descendants of Abraham proven by circumcision, and they based their salvation on that practice that was self-effort, and self-effort will never save us, okay? Let me tell you something. We're a Southern Baptist church in our background. We have membership, church membership, communion, or baptism can be our modern-day circumcision. Any of these rituals can be seen as means to be saved, but we are not saved by any rituals or rites that we may practice. I'm trying to be a better person or striving to be a better person. They have books out here how you could be a better person. No. You know, you may be good in one aspect of the law and fail on the other. You know, what he was saying is here in this verse, what he was just saying, for circumcision is the profitable if you keep the law. It's good if you walk with God, you do the right things, right? But if you're a breaker of the law, if you violated the law, your circumcision has made you uncircumcised. You might just, because you have circumcision, you now, you're like the Gentiles. You, you violated the covenant. You've broken it. Here it is. Humility is admitting that our self-sufficiency is not enough, but that God is enough. Yeah. Hear that? That God is enough. God is enough for me, right? Surrender is the key to freedom. That takes humility. That takes humility. James 4, 6, 7, and 10 says this. Give, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Right? Here's the truth, guys. The truth for freedom. We are not saved by our acts, but by God's act of love for us. Our works fail us. His work saves us and frees us. His work saves us and frees us. And so we have to begin living by the Spirit and not by the law. As we close 26 to 29. In 26 to 27, he, he gives a rhetorical question here to think about. Therefore, if, any, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will, he not, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Talking about the Greeks, the, Jew, the Gentiles, right? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? I love the New Living Translation of this verse. It says this, if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? 
In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. That's what that's saying, okay? Here's the thought of all this. The unchurched who get saved and obey God's ways and bring a better testimony than those who claim to be in the faith for a long period of time, right? In fact, those walking in the Spirit bring judgment on those who aren't walking in the Spirit, okay? Even in the Old Testament, God had wanted circumcision of the heart. Though he speaks about it here in this passage, he wanted circumcision in the heart. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy 10, 16, it says, therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be a stiff neck no longer. In fact, it says, circumcision of the ear, Jeremiah 16, 10, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear, indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. Circumcision of the lips, Exodus 6, 30. And Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. What is he saying here? Our hearts, our ears, our lips. May they be mastered by the heart and by the spirit. May they be mastered by the heart. Even in the Old Testament, even though the law there, you have the law and then you have the spirit of the law. The whole New Testament was to break down the spirit of the law. That's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was taking the law and says, let me just go a little deeper and deal with your heart and how the spirit works with that, right? Because the spirit transforms the heart as we close, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Remember, they had a circumcision, not outwardly nor circumcision that which is an outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, the spirit, not the letter, who praises not from men, but from God. Authenticity is not what you see on the outside, it's what's happening in the inside. Okay? The circumcision of the heart is the greatest sign, the greatest sign for circumcision of the heart is a changed heart that in this changed heart, we've been adopted into a family. And so we're to walk in the spirit, not according to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. For where the spirit is, there is liberty. We sang that today. There's the freedom. Our freedom in Christ are not to live any way we want. Our freedoms are not to be a stumbling block to others. Our freedoms are used to get the praise of God. I love Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, therefore, no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus who has made me free from the law of sin and death. Our, our lives are to live in such a way of freedom that God gets praise and he praises us. I find it interesting that the word Jew comes from the word Judah, which means praise. The goal of God's people was to get praise from God. The relationship there, this intimate relationship, and they got away from that. We worship because we praise God and we want intimacy with God. And so again, as we close this morning, three thoughts, reminder. Let's talk about freedom in Christ. Number one, freedom begins with a new identity. It begins with a new identity. We got to know our identity, right? The enemy wants to have identity theft. New identity. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Freedom begins with a new heart. God begins to change our heart. He has to deal with our heart. That's where the freedom begins. And lastly, freedom begins with the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in that transformation. 
And guys, the work of the Spirit at times can be painful. I'm not saying it's easy. Because if we have toxins in our body, if we have issues in our body, you have to go through the kind of the convulsions and the sickness and detox from those sicknesses. Sometimes that's painful. But that's part of the sanctification process. Because if there's sin, Psalm 66 says, if we hide sin in our heart, we cannot, God will not hear our prayers. There's, God has to deal with our issues to bring more intimacy, to have fellowship with him and community with him. And he loves us to be the physician that does that so we can have freedom. Amen? Father, heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your love and blessings. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. And I pray for your people this morning, Lord. Father, I pray that they've just got a nugget today about their freedoms. Father, you said you came to set the captives free. And we're free indeed. And so, Lord, I pray today your blessings on your people. May we walk in freedom. May we walk in this new identity. May we walk that you begin to change our heart and that we have power by your spirit. We thank you. We praise you. And we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.